You're listening to the Table Church Podcast. The Table is a community in Orville, California that aims to follow Jesus by doing what he did. Love God, love our neighbors, and serve those in need. Find us at thetablechurch.net, Instagram, or Facebook. And now for the message. Hey, we're talking about the art of being unordinary. Let me tell you a bunch of stuff going on with this sermon series. First, I've invited other folks to preach. So as of now, we have three folks scheduled also to preach. So you're going to get things broken up. It's not just going to be me for eight weeks. Um, so pray for them. I won't say names, but pray for them because they are stepping out in faith to really explore uh, God using them. So, But we're going to do uh, this new series. This is what the small groups are on. Today's the introduction. We're talking about the art of being un ordinary. I really do feel like God has called us to be extraordinary in a lot of ways, to break the patterns of the world and to live differently. So one of our theme verses for this is going to be Romans 12.2, which is don't be conformed to the patterns of this world. So we're going to be looking at patterns of this world, and we're going to be looking about how Jesus tells us to not be part of those, but be transformed. Again, today is an introduction. No small groups this week. They start next Tuesday and Wednesday. Just letting you know what was going on in our series. Here's some bad news. We always start with the bad news because I think if we can get in touch with the hard parts of ourselves and our humanity and our culture, then we are going to be more open to receiving the good news. And so here's one of the patterns that is hard for us is that a lot of times, I would say for most people, They enter into situations and they ask, how is this going to benefit me? They walk into situations and they they look at people and things and places as an opportunity to make them feel better or more comfortable or get ahead in life. There's a term in psychology called psychological egoism. You do not, this is not on the test. You can doze off here if you'd like. If you like language, ego in, in Greek just means I. It means me, like not I, but like I. Like ego, a me means I am, right? So, so it's about the I, it's about the self. It really starts with this guy named Epicurus. He starts Epicureanism and his thing, his thing was that humans are going to try to minimize pain and maximize pleasure. So let's develop a th- philosophy around that. And they did. They were like, let's just do what we want. And then it moved into Jeremy Bentham. He kind of revives it because it fell out of favor when Christians showed up on the scene. Jeremy Bentham says, people are going to try to do what is best for themselves and try to minimize pain for themselves. And he said, what if we could turn that into a system? He called it utilitarianism. Again, nothing on the test, doze off. But this, he said, maybe what if we made decisions that said, let's do the most good for the most amount of people And let's minimize the most pain for the most amount of people. Sometimes this is a great way to make decisions. I wouldn't say all the time, but he was on to something when he was going through this. But really it centered our own pleasure and our own pain. And then it moved into a guy named Herbert Spencer. He's the guy who comes up with the phrase, survival of the fittest. And he said, humans are animals and like animals, we will do whatever we need to do to make sure that we survive and our family survives, including letting and or killing other people if it comes to it. And so these guys really kind of define psychological, psychological egoism, which is really just that pattern of the world that says we walk into situations, we say, how is this going to benefit me? Sometimes we do this with Jesus. 
I can tell you that's part of my own story. Somebody sent me this picture just this week. Uh, this is like one of the first times I had ever been to church. It's a church in Palermo. And uh, she was like, hey, look at this picture. And I was like, that's easily 25 years ago. <laughs> Maybe not. 23, 24. Um, I originally went to church. If you haven't heard my story, many of you have many times, forgive me. But I went to church to chase my wife. I went to church for a girl. The story is, is that I wanted to date her and her parents. She was young. She was 14. I was 14. Uh, her parents said, uh, you have to go to church if you want to date her daughter. And I thought that was the easiest way to get on a parent's good side I've ever experienced. I thought you had to have dinner and you had to schmooze and you had to do the. And I was like, I just go hang out with a bunch of kids and play games. 100%. Okay. And so I went to church. I, I, I entered into this space. I entered into Jesus. I didn't go for salvation. I didn't go because there was some gnawing at my soul that needed saved. I went for girls and fun and friends, yeah? I walked into the situation. How does this benefit me? Jesus got a hold. Jesus can use that too, though, right? But what Jesus wants us to know is that that's the pattern of the world, Followers of Jesus enter a space and ask, how is Jesus going to bless this situation through me? We have a different mindset about the situations that we walk into. So I wanted to talk about that today through the good news, through the other kind of core verse that I want to use for this series. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 13 through 16, so the, here's the setup. Jesus has just come on the scene. He's starting his ministry, and crowds are starting to follow him. And every t Jesus is allergic to crowds. He does not enjoy them. And every time they show up, he says something hard just to try to get some of them to leave. And so the crowds start showing up from all different kinds of nations. It's, it's really a diverse situation going on. And Jesus pulls his disciples up on this hill. They call it the Sermon on the Mount, but it's really just like a small hill. I don't know what's going on here. I showered and I got deodorant on. There's a fly just swarming me. Um, so Jesus pulls them up on this hill. He pulls his disciples up, but anybody else that wants to listen, and he begins with some of the hardest teaching called the Beatitudes. And he said, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are mourned. Blessed are those who are hungry. Blessed are those who are meek. And he essentially is saying that these types of people are ground zero for the kingdom of God breaking into the world. And then he points at those people, the people that we would say are the last, the least, the lost, the ones that we would never want to be like. He points to them and immediately he says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how will it become salty again? It's good for nothing except to be thrown away and trampled under people's feet. You, those people, are the light of the world. A city on top of a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Instead, they put it on top of a lampstand and it shines on all who are in the house. He ends by saying, in the same way, let your light shine before people so they can see the good things you do and praise your Father who is in heaven. You know how I preach? I don't know why the D did that, but it's head, heart, hands. Head, heart, hands. Something for us to know, something for us to do, something for us to do and experience. Off my game. And here's why we do this. If you don't know, I've been thinking about this. I want to explain this. I think 
God has some uh, objective truth, some universal truths of the kingdom that God wants us to know. But the reason we go in this order is because I want you to know, here's what you can expect to experience when you believe and have trust in this universal truth. This is what we think should be happening on the inside of us based on this. And this is an expectation of what should be coming out of us when we believe it and we receive it that we should be doing it. And this is the tricky one because it should happen naturally, right? It should spill out of you. But also, it's an intentional practice that we can do. It's both, right? You intentionally do it, but you hope that it, you cultivate the practice enough that it spills out. That's why I, I do head heart hands. So I always ask the question of a text, what does God want us to know in this passage? And in this theme, I think God wants us to know this, that seeking Jesus makes you stick out in the world. You don't have a choice to be a pattern breaker. If you're following Jesus, you're going to stick out. This is what he said. A city on a hill, it can't be hidden. Guess what? If you're following Jesus, you're going to stick out. You are going to naturally break patterns. Not only does Jesus want you to break the patterns, but being close to him will make you break patterns. When Moses was going to Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments, if you don't know, he went up and he was there for a while, days and days. And God wrote the first tablets. And Moses brings them back down. And most of us know that he gets down and the people were so scared they created some God made out of gold and they were bowing down to it. And Moses is so horrified that he drops the ones that God, that God wrote. And so Moses is like... God gets mad, and Moses is like, please don't kill them. It's a thing. And then Moses says, let me come back up. And God says, okay, bring your own tablets this time. I ain't writing them. So Moses has to write them the second time. <laughs> Moses. In Exodus 34 is one of the most beautiful passages. God describes God's self there in some really amazing ways. We also see Moses receive the law again. But it says that he comes down the mountain, and he'd spent so much time in the presence of God that his face was glowing. Sometimes you'll see in art that he has horns because it's the same word. So some people are like, he grew horns on his face, but I think it was glowing. Let's say it was glowing, huh? It's just for a matter of argument. It probably looked like this, the Lego version. I really love this piece of art. It kind of encapsulates the, the, the horn thing maybe, but also the glowing thing. But what happens is the people are so afraid of Moses and his glowing face that he hides it. He puts a veil on. He hides his shine because the people around him are, are nervous. They're worried. They're afraid. If we fast forward 2,000 years, Paul talks about this episode in relation to us, those who follow Jesus, and he says this in 2 Corinthians 2. Whenever someone turns back to the Lord, the veil is removed. The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit is, there is freedom. And all of us are looking with unveiled faces at the glory of the Lord as if we were looking in a mirror. I mean, this is some wild theology. You are looking at the one who created you in whose image you are made. You are looking with unveiled faces at the glory of the Lord as if you were looking in a mirror. We are being transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to the next degree of glory. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. What does Paul say? 
Moses shined and he hid himself, but those of us who are following Jesus are taking it off because we are the ones who are being transformed into the likeness of the Lord. And that's what every, that's the destiny of every human being. That's what Jesus wants for everyone, to shine, to be so close to Jesus that they shine brightly. Jesus tells us in our passage, we are the light. We are a reflection of Jesus himself who said, I am the light of the world. And when we are following Jesus, we cannot help but transcend the pattern of the world because we stick out, transformed by his light to become light ourselves. So you don't even have to try to break the pattern is what I'm trying to get, point, get across here. It's going to happen if you're close to Jesus. What does Jesus want us to feel? What's going on inside? What can we expect to experience inside of us based on that? Jesus wants you to feel that you have a purpose that rises above the world, but it is to the world. You have a purpose. God has a plan for you. He says you're the salt of the earth. Don't lose your saltiness, right? There's a purpose to salt. He says you are the light of the world. Don't put that light under a lamp. Put it on a lampstand so that it shines. Like a lamp lights the house, that's your purpose in the world. To shed light in the dark places. And the darker you go, the brighter the light is. Yeah? What does salt do? Can I be honest? We don't know what Jesus means by the salt thing. We know what salt does. But there's no, I mean, there'll be pastors that'll stand up here and be like, this is what it means. And let me tell you, all the scholars are like, we don't really know what Jesus is referring to here. But we could guess. Let's guess. I hope you're all comfortable with that. I know people are much more comfortable with people who are confident, but I confidently don't know. <laughs> I say that with all confidence. Here's what salt does and some of the guesses about salt. First of all, we know that it did two things. It preserved and it added flavor. We still use it for those things today. Preserved food and it adds flavor to food. And so in a lot of ways, people think maybe uh, we, we are trying to preserve the world from total corruption and chaos. Or we're the party. We're the flavor. We're the things that make it good to be here. There's this whole thing about covenant, so the covenant that God made with Aaron, the brother of Moses, and the covenant God made with David are called, uh, they're called the salt covenant. And in that regard, it really is about preservation, that this thing will last for a very long time. In fact, God is so connecting salt to covenant that there's a command in Leviticus 2 that anytime you bring an offering, put salt in it. He says it three times. All your grain offerings are salt. Do not omit the salt of God's covenant from your grain offering. You must offer salt with all your offerings. There's this idea that salt makes things last longer. It doesn't, I mean, it just makes it taste good, but there's some symbology to it. Peacekeeping, Jesus says, maintain salt among yourselves and keep peace with each other. And so in this context, maybe Jesus wants us to be peacemakers. And then in Aramaic, tabel is salt and tapel is foolishness. And so maybe Jesus is saying, you're the wisdom of the world. I don't know, you could pick one or you could pick all five. That's your choice. Maybe it's all of them. Maybe it's one of them. 
ultimately, the core of that salt message is this. That following Jesus it, it impacts who we are. It makes salt salty. It should do something to you. It should change you and it should transform you. And following Jesus gives you a purpose. That's light. It does something in the world. So it's not just... It's not just a mission to go do something in your own strength and in your own power, but following Jesus, first and foremost, salt should change you, should change, transform you, should do something in you, and then allow you to go into mission as purpose and light in the world. Following Jesus should be experienced and exhibited, both felt and seen in the world. Yeah? I watched this movie 2,000 times because I have kids and they like to watch things over and over every, every day, 25 times a day. And there's a scene in there that I love and I think about it often. If you don't know what this movie is about, it's about cavemen. There's some really deep stuff going on here. Essentially, they don't want to go to the dad. The dad's job is to keep everyone safe and he does that by keeping them in dark caves. But everybody wants to go to tomorrow. They're following the sun to tomorrow. And so the dad is like, my job is to keep us alive. And they're like, well, we, we want to... Anyways, watch the clip. <laughs> Cave! Everyone inside. Hey, Come on, wait. hurry up. Let's go. Let's go. Go. Go! No! No more caves, Greg. What? We're gonna jump on the sun and ride it to tomorrow with Guy! Wait, wait, so you're all going to do this? Thunk? Sorry, Dad. You have to stop worrying for all of us. It's my job to worry! It's my job to follow the rules! The rules don't work out here! They kept us alive! That wasn't living! That was just not dying! There's a difference! As a dad, I'm like, oh, just got to keep us alive, guys. I literally said before this movie, I'm like, I do caveman parenting. It's a success if we're all there at the end of the day in our caves. So it's a hard dad movie. That's all I know. The pattern of the world is to survive. It's to find comfort. It's to use things to get ahead. But Jesus doesn't want us to just look out for ourselves. And embodying the the art of being unordinary means that we own that purpose that Jesus gives to us, to be salt and light in the world. To not just be another person in the world, but we are the salt to the food. We are the light to the darkness. Not just surviving or being comfortable or just getting ahead. But Jesus wants you to know that you, he's giving you a purpose that comes out of your transformed experience of following Jesus and into the world to be light and salt to those around you. What does God want us to do? What does God want us to do with this passage, with this idea, with this stuff? Jesus says, let your light shine. Exact quote. In the same way, let your light shine before people. No longer like Moses with our veils on. He says, take them off. Let people see what God is doing in the world. Let people see what's going on. I think this needs to be our posture in the world. I have a, an, an illustration. Give me 10 seconds to set it up. 
Were you wondering why there was a lamp here or did you not notice? That determines the kind of person you are. Are you observant or not? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> if you did see, come talk to me. We got some work to do. Please work. Hey, there's a light. Here's a mirror. A lot of us walk around. I think a lot of the world walks around with their mirrors like this, with their self, their, their body position, their orientation, walking around like this, and they're just mirroring everything around them. You all look beautiful, by the way. Look at you. Right. And some people come to Christ, and they think they need to become super holy, and so they just stay in their prayer closets, and they just read their Bibles, and it's just a, for them. And that's not bad. I want you to do those things. But sometimes their posture becomes only this, Right? And they just reflect back to God, the God stuff, thinking that this is what God has asked them to do, to, to step out of the world and to become super holy. But I think our posture is supposed to be bent. Yeah? So we can reflect to the world God's light. Can you see it? Is this working? You can reflect to the world God's light, and you can reflect creation back to the Creator. This is what God's asking us to do in this passage, to live in a bent fashion. To live in an orientation that reflects who God is in the world and reflects the goodness of creation back to God. This is what God's asking us to do in this salt and light thing. To let our light shine. And we don't have light in and among ourselves. It is only a reflection of God who is the light of the world. But when we live in such a way, we show the world who God is and what God is doing in the world and the type of human beings God is creating in and among us. This is what Jesus tells us to do when he asks us to let our light shine, to be a reflection of God. How does Jesus want us to do this? He gives us a pretty specific way to do this. He says, let your light shine so they can see the good things you do, the good works, and praise your Father who is in heaven. Good works become very important. And Christianity has argued for a thousand years about what good works are, and essentially we settled on this. You don't start with good works. You don't earn your grace and salvation. God gives it to you as a gift freely for you. But once you are saved, you get to work. You come out of your baptismal waters and the heavens part and Jesus hands you a shovel and says, there's stuff to be done in the world. We need image bearers who reflect the light of God into creation because creation needs reminded that God has a plan. God is moving things towards a new creation and God wants everyone to be a part of it. We are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Jesus gave himself for us in order to rescue us from every kind of lawless behavior and cleanse a special people for himself who are eager to do good works. An unordinary life, I'm wrapping up. If you've got questions, send them. If you don't, that's okay too. An unordinary life, one that is transformed on the inside and shines on the outside. Breaking the patterns of the world is one committed to working God's love into the world intentionally, on purpose, as part of God's plan. Questions, comments, ideas, criticisms. Anything you want to add, subtract. 
I'm going to summarize. If one comes in, we'll do it. Let's sum this up. Seeking Jesus will make you stick out. You don't even have to try to break patterns of the world. The closer you get to Christ, the more you're going to stand out in the world. It's just going to happen. And with your heart, what Jesus wants you to know and experience is that God has a purpose for you. You were created for a purpose that rises above the world, not as one in the world, but as salt and light to the world. And lastly, what does Jesus want us to do? Is to let your light shine. Reflect the goodness of God into the world. Live in such a way that we're bent to project God's saving light in the world. As always, I give you a spiritual practice to do, just to remember what we did, what we talked about. This one's hard. Maybe don't put some salt in your food this week or sit in the dark. Maybe just a side dish. (laughs) Or sit in the dark. Sit in the dark for a moment. And my hope is, is that this will help you see not only what we're supposed to be in the world, right? But also what what Jesus is doing in us and through us. Amen? Would you pray with me? Thank you, Father. Thank you for this word. Thank you for this encouragement. Thank you for the command to not be like everybody else, but that you've called us to be extraordinary. Help us to recognize the patterns of the world. I think that's the first point, the first step. Help us to be close to you. That just by osmosis, mosis, and naturally, we'll get more and more of you and less and less of the toxic stuff of the world. And may it start right now. As we come to communion, would this be cup of life, bread of nourishment for our spiritual journeys, to be closer to you, closer to one another, to be able to strongly resist those patterns that are detrimental to our life with you, that dull our shine, that make us lose the light, and we'll be careful to give you all praise. Table Church, will you finish this prayer with me by saying the Lord's Prayer? saying, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us.